Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. It's, uh, is it starting to feel a little bit like Christmas around your home? Yeah, I, it is around our home. Um, I was so in the spirit of Christmas that I went to Hobby Lobby and bought a half-price tree that's about this tall. I already had the lights on it, so it, it works perfectly with my plans this year. Today's the last day in our series on prayer. But what we don't want to do is, is think that once the series is over, that the action stops, because that's not it. Prayer is the lifeblood of every church and every believer, and it will be and continue to be reminded here in this place that that's what we're going to be known about, because we've understood through this series that speaking to God and learning His language is about getting into the flow of what He's doing in this world. It's not so much just informing God, because as we've read through the scripture, that God already knows before you ask. But praying can be devalued into a single act of desperation, or a religious act, or something that is required of you, or something that you do before meals. And you should do all of that. In times of need, cry out to God. When you're in trouble, cry out to God. Let Him know what you need. But it's not just this one-way communication from us to God, but it is a buttress of relationship with God. Today we're going to talk about a church that prayed together and a church praying together and the power of that. And what we're going to find is that we have a choice. We do as a congregation, as a church as a group of believers here in Albuquerque, we have a choice as to how we are going to respond to God. We either do it together or we do it separately. But if we do it together like they did in the early church, powerful things happen. And we have a choice to be vibrant and effective, okay, in what we're doing and what we're called to do, or dull and irrelevant. Either vibrant and effective are dull and irrelevant. And we all want to be vibrant and effective. And if we embrace the calling that we have from God to pray together, same mind, same heart, then great things will continue to happen. Father, we thank you for our time together. We ask, Lord, that as we review these words written down in your book for us, that a spark would be kindled, a determination would be adhered to our hearts and our minds that we would do what we read. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. All right. In Acts chapter 4, we find out that not everybody is a fan of Jesus. Not everybody's a fan of this movement that he started. In fact, 
The church was established on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and came upon the crowd of people and they began to speak in other languages and people from all nations were around and they heard the gospel in their own language. Peter, who had been hiding away, the disciples who had been hidden away all of a sudden were preaching openly in the streets. They were heading to the temple and on this particular day, they saw a man who was lame from birth for most of his life. I hate to use the term lame, but it means he's probably paralyzed or had some type of debilitation. And so they healed him. It was at the gate beautiful. And then they continued to preach to the people all around. But then something happened. The, the Sadducees, the chief priests, really it would be the Sanhedrin, the ruling 70, said, hey man, we got to do something about these guys. Because they're continuing to preach in this name. And they're preaching in the name of a guy that we helped have killed. This can't be. This is treacherous. This is going to divide people. And whether you want to think they're evil or not, well, that's for you to decide or actually for God to decide. But it, the church had grown so rapidly and the movement had begun to just explode. All of, all of a sudden, it was a problem. It was a problem. And so not everybody was a fan and not everybody in the world, not everybody in your family is a fan of your faith in Jesus, are they? Not everybody is. There are a lot of people who are in opposition and you want to think, why would you be? What did Jesus ever do to you? I mean, he's such a wonderful person. Well, it's because they don't have the relationship that you do with Jesus. You had a group of disciples who uh, had been with him. They saw miracles. They were in all the way. And he had hinted, at least in their minds, they had talked about being raised from the dead, being crucified and so forth, and being beaten. And it didn't really register until it happened. And they kind of got freaked out. But then he delivered. He rose again. He filled them with the Holy Spirit, and now they were ready to go out and continue the ministry that he started in them and now into the whole world. And not everybody has that relationship with the Lord. And until you do, you don't necessarily understand it. And so the people and the leaders didn't understand it. And so they asked him, you know, what power do you do this? And they said, well, it's in the name of Jesus. And we're called here today because of the kindness that was shown to somebody who was sick. I mean, how often do you walk along, you see somebody who had been begging, who had been immobile for years, everybody knew them, they were a fixture, probably most people knew their name, and all of a sudden that person's walking around. And you're asking the question, why am I in jail again? Can you show me in the law where this is bad? But they had a problem because they knew all of a sudden people were looking to them. There was a, there a possible power shift. And they could stand to lose a lot because they had a lot of alliances with the Roman government. This was a problem. So he said, Jesus is the name, the one that has healed him. And he is the stone that the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given by mankind by which we must be saved. And then it says they were amazed. The leaders 
well-educated, well-trained. And they said they noticed that these men were unschooled, okay, and ordinary men. If you want to know what the disciples were, they were unschooled and ordinary. Jesus picked them nonetheless. And they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing that they could say. There was nothing that they could say. People may not like your faith. And we are, learn early on from Jesus that that is okay. And that can be the normal. People don't have to. Even when they see that you're not malevolent. You're not against them. You don't try to hurt them. You're, you're there for their good, for other people's good. All of the benefit that you're doing in the community. And yet, there is a problem. So... The Sanhedrin pulled apart together and they, they had a conference. And they said, listen, everybody knows that they perform this sign. But we need to stop them from spreading it further among the people. And we must warn them no longer to speak in this name. Okay? Then they called them again not to speak and teach in the name of Jesus. But here's the respond of Peter. But Peter replied, and John, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him being God? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let him go, and they went back to their people. You think, how is this happening so early on? Well, it was because when confronted with Jesus, there is rarely at all any neutral ground. He's not that kind of person. Years ago, I listened to Bob Dylan all the time. My friends hated Bob Dylan. There's no, I mean, if you don't know who that is, Google it, kids. It'll be a nice historical journey for you. He's trying to sing like this, you know. And either you loved him or you hated him. There was no in-between, you know. And Jesus, um, much greater than Bob Dylan, was one of those people that there was no really neutral ground whatsoever. He's someone that you either believed what he had had to say or you moved on. The early church met with opposition early on. Not everyone was a fan. Some are in opposition. And this didn't become a political issue. The early church saw it for what it was. It was a spiritual issue. It was a spiritual dimension issue. Now, how should a church respond to opposition? Well, let's fight. Let's get the right people in office. Let's go out and petition. Let's show people we, you can't push us around. Well, that sounds pretty good, but it doesn't seem to be the pattern that we're given in the early church and with Jesus. And we're going to find out exactly what they did. There may be actions further than prayer that God leads us to, okay? That may come, but however, 
our first response and best response is always prayer. Our first response and our best response is always prayer. All right. They came back with a report. Look at verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. Notice this. They went back to their own people. They went back to the group that Jesus had founded. And we could call this a church, the assembly of Christ followers, Jesus people, believers, whatever you want to call them. But they went back to report what had happened. And so what happened? They reported it to all. They were unified in, in, in their voices. And in verse 24, notice their response. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together. Their hearts and their minds were in unison because they knew what Jesus had called them to do. You see, at this point, there was no idea that church is just some kind of individualist decision about what religion and you're going to practice. And so I think I'll go try this place out over here. The music's kind of loud over here. But this, this church I really like because, you know, they have... Uh, they have um, I was going to think of something funny, but there's nothing funny to say. It smells like incense. I really like incense and candles. Whatever it may be. It, they were, it was right at the core at the beginning, and they had so much in common. This was something that was happening to them. This was something that was happening to their world, and they were unified without question. Okay, they were unified without question at all. It was right at the beginning. And then they respond. How do they respond? They respond corporately in a group with worship to God, which is always important for us when we come together as we pray to God and we worship God in that prayer, but we also sing songs and worship his greatness. It's in sovereignty and all that he has done and what he's made because there's a joy within us and that's thankful that we've been introduced to the living God. That, that is a proper knee-jerk response that is always appropriate to God. Corporate prayer is an act of worship because we approach him acknowledging his greatness and absolute power and we're personally, collectively recognizing the rightful order of things. It's the rightful order of things, okay, and we recognize that our problems don't belong just to us, they belong to the Lord. Remember that. Your problems don't just belong to you. They belong to the Lord. Because we're in his camp under his rule. Therefore, under his authority and under his responsibility. Your problems belong to the Lord. The church, by the way, is meant to respond to God in this way. The, under, the, the early church understood this. They knew that they'd been commissioned to go out and spread the gospel. 
And they had a problem, and they rightfully took their needs before the throne of their heavenly Father. You say, well, how, how does that look like? I mean, what do we know about thrones and stuff? Well, it's called faith. God has touched your life in some way. You've responded to Jesus Christ, and then you, you realize that, wait, God's here, and, and we're educated from scriptures in the past, maybe in the Old Testament, and then we're educated from the lives of believers and, and the words of Jesus that we find in the New Testament, and we realize that, that God's throne is very near, and it is open to us to approach Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, speaking of Jesus, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. God's throne is not far away. Our high priest, the mediator, is not far away. And he says that we can approach the throne of our king and there we find a throne not of judgment, but a throne of grace in a time of need. You see, the early church understood that it wasn't just Peter and John who got in trouble, because all of them were commissioned to go speak in this name. It would mean trouble for every one of them. And so they didn't pray, and Lord, just change their minds. And I pray that they would just learn to love uh, the church and see us as a benefit, and we pray that nothing bad would happen to us. No, they, they did something else. They went to the throne of grace because they know, God, we are in need, Father, and we have been connected with you. We were far away from you. We had to go to priests and to a temple, and, and they would make sacrifices for us, and it seemed like we were so far away. But now we can approach you through our Messiah, Jesus, and we come because we've got a problem, Lord. And in that place, we find charity of God. We find the kindness of God. We find the hope that is needed to get through the struggle and the hard times. We find the forgiveness that is needed, the peace that is so sought after and so elusive much of our lives. We find the righteousness of God that he's not crooked, and we find mercy. And, and, and also, I might add, that we find great power there. Great power. Great power in that place. It's a place where the Father meets with his children. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, but when he had, when it when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, 
and the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave sold in bondage to sin, but God's child. And since you're God's child, he has made you an heir. Do you see the whole process and, and the, the, the growth and the understanding of the early church? They went from a group of folks who had been used to going to temple who were very far separated from God. God would be in their camp, but God wouldn't be close to them. And revelation after revelation after revelation that the church continues to grow and say, oh, no, no, we can go straight to his throne. And Paul says, well, not only that, but you're actually his kids, whereby we're able to cry out, Dad, Abba, Father. And we're no longer sold away, kept away in bondage, but we're now brought in as family. To be brought into a king's court is one thing. To be brought in as family into a king's court is altogether different. Their knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ and his mission was growing and developing, and it was leading to one thing. God has not closed the door to you. God has opened the door to you. So what did they do? They didn't pray that all the people who opposed them within the Sanhedrin would be, you know, <laughs> knocked out in the midterm. Sorry, that wasn't fair. Sorry, I, I just got to get in trouble. It's a, it's a thing. But they asked for boldness and so should we. Acts 4 verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and miracles and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You see, they needed, we need boldness. Courage is the virtue that rules all the rest. Boldness is exactly what we need. But we want others to be bold for us, don't we? Don't you like that? Let's elect this person. Now get out there and be bold. Well, what are you going to do? I'm going to be back in my house watching you on TV. We got to be bold in our faith. And it's a time when it's not really feeling that safe to be bold. Can anybody say amen to that? We wonder what's going to happen. That's the time that you need boldness. I need boldness. We all need boldness as a group more than ever. More than ever. They didn't ask for easier circumstances. They asked for boldness to stand up and meet what was needed at the time because they saw that in Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't go in and say, well, let me back off for a second. I'm going to go in and negotiate with these people so that it will be, uh, you know, maybe we can make things a little more comfortable around here. Uh-uh. I'm going to go in and turn over the apple cart and I'm going to speak boldly because that's what is necessary. 
The, the, the phrase in Greek is parisias pases. And that means all boldness. They were asking for every single resource available to be brave and outspoken about the gospel. All boldness. We want all of it, God. Whatever you've got for us, we need those resources because they understand their own weakness. Spiritual work requires spiritual power. We should be asking, by the way, for everything available to accomplish the mission at hand. God's work requires God's power. Now, we are aware, all of us are aware, of our own weakness. Every one of us. We're aware of our own weakness. We know the things that, where we're not strong, areas that are deficient in our lives and in our character. And the mission like this, to go out and share the gospel to a world that's not necessarily a fan, is not all that (laughs) pretty, is it? It's not very inviting. It's actually, if you know your weakness, it is daunting. And if we don't fill up to the task, I'm going to say, good. You're probably not up for the task. But God can make you that way. God does his most amazing work with the weakest parts of our lives. He seems to shine the brightest with the weakest parts of who we are if we turn them over to him. Praying for boldness is praying to submit before God to do what he wants to do. That's hard to do, isn't it? Because God may ask you to do something easy, but then he may ask you to do something hard. Don't forget, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest in me. God says, I've got this. And in I'm going to be glorified and you're going to be strengthened if if you just submit to this and submit your weakness to me, I can take care of it and I can do great things with it. In the book of Ephesians, Paul asked believers to pray for him that he would have the ability to speak the gospel fearlessly with boldness. It's okay, my friends, to be weak and intimidated about speaking in a world constantly telling you to shut up. Stop talking about Jesus. We don't want to hear that. Well, maybe it's rude if I speak up. No, it's not. How many of you brag about your favorite restaurant? Come on, tell the truth. Well, you go to a new restaurant, and what do you do? You tell half your friends. Hey, you got to go try this place out. It's amazing. It's so fresh and it's so good. And it's only, you know, $20 for one taco. Uh, the price of food today, oh my goodness. It's crazy. We don't mind doing that, but that doesn't really benefit anybody. But 
it, it seems like it's some kind of hard, socially awkward thing to share the gospel with someone, right? Well, I don't want to be odd. Well, you're already odd. I don't want to put a burden on somebody. Yeah, you do. It's just that it's intimidating because we understand more increasingly that not everybody's a fan and not everybody wants to hear it. By the way, the world needs your boldness. What do you think if in the fabric of the firefighters' unions, the training that they go through, if they said, listen, here's the thing. Nobody really likes an aggressive, courageous fireman. Right? They say, nobody really likes that. We like those kind of kind firemen who knock on the door and say, it looks like your house is on fire. You mind if I come in? You know, some of my friends here... We have some access. We might do some remodeling because of this. Your house is on fire. No, they don't train them to do that. They go in head first and their courageousness continually inspires everybody all the time. So what's it going to be when there's opposition against the Word of God, opposition against believers, opposition against followers of Christ. What should we be? Should we ask for just to be timid? Or do we ask for boldness? To withstand the controversy. To maintain the truth. To stick to what He has called us to do. I think if Peter was speaking to us today, he'd say, You better pray for boldness, because that's the only way you get out. Putting our trust in God this way means this. It means that we, okay, can do better than we thought we could. You know, you have certain limitations on yourself as to how good you think you can be and what you can do. But believing and thinking about God this way lets you say, well, I believe that I can do better than I thought I could. We can be stronger. We can have more faith. We can believe God more, trust God more. We can be bold in our weakness. Yes, even in your weakness. Everybody likes to be bold when they're strong, right? When everything's good and everything's happy, man, I'm so bold and good. But he says, you can be bold in the midst of your weakness. And through all of this, you're going to grow more. Isn't that the whole point in life? Is to grow, to change, to become more like the way that God wants us to be. Change can happen where change seems impossible, and God speaks to us in terms of possibilities. God speaks to us in terms of possibilities that if we stick with Him, imagine what I can do with you. That's it. He wants us to believe. He wants us to be bold. He wants us to be courageous, to take courageous, to take hold of life and live it. And you see, see the fire and the determination of this early group of people. It's like all of a sudden life had been turned on and they saw the world differently. 
They saw their relationships with other people differently. And it seemed so exciting. I don't know about you, but I'm guessing most of us live seemingly pretty dull lives. Can I get a, like a slow amen to that? Amen. Brother. Where are you going today? Walmart. They're having a sale on shoestrings. For whatever they had had, they were like, this is it. I'm willing to give my life for it. It's exciting. Remember that choice I talked about? We have a choice whether we're going to be irrelevant, ineffective, or very, very relevant, vibrant, and very effective. So, what happened? Here's the result. Verse 31 of Acts chapter 4. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. We're not told that the opposition necessarily changed, but they did, and they spoke with boldness. That's what happens when a church can be in unity. That's what happens when a church can take seriously that they believe that God can help change them and change their own world. That can happen. That can be it. The world would never be the same after this prayer. They became fearless. They faced their threats, even death, and many became known as martyrs. Martyrs is simply someone who gives a testimony, but they had been those associated with those who had paid the price with their lives. So what would be the payoff? Well, the payoff would be millions of people through time coming to Jesus. Communities of belief and trust in God spreading across the world. Communities centered on Jesus, communities centered on his word, his life, people being renewed by the spirit, filled with hope and peace as the life of God settles among them. God's renewal process, project in this world. Praying like this will change the world. Praying like this will change your world and in my world. Okay, let's get very practical. To get serious about this, and if you want to take some notes now, might be the time. Pay attention and be on mission. God sends you out into the world and you have eyes, you have ears, and you're able to see what's going on and to know what needs to be prayed for. Period. That's just God. Keep a running prayer list. Ongoing prayers and answered prayers. Now, you may not be a good journaler, I'm not, but I can keep a list. I have a friend who's, um, <clears throat> he was a nerd in his past life, but I think some of it's still there, but he has an Excel spreadsheet that he uses. Whatever it is, find a way to measure ongoing prayers and prayers that have been answered. It's important to see that you can validate what God is doing in the world. 
Keep it at the center of your focus. Remember to pray. Listen, remembering to pray is not avoiding work. Well, I'll pray about it. I'm not going to do anything about it, but I'll pray about it. No. Prayer is not avoiding work. Prayer is work. Prayer is work. Therefore, it requires us to be diligent. Stop compl- if you find yourself complaining, would you do yourself and everybody else a favor and just kind of tick a lock and start praying? Because nobody cares about your complaining. Not even you. Have you ever gotten tired of listening to your own self-complaint? I'm like, ah, what is that? Yuck. Pray. When you feel like complaining, when you feel like criticizing, pray. Pray and ask God how you can help. Let your prayer lead you into service, not just observation. If you focus on the world, if we focus on the news, if we listen to what is continually being fed to us with a fire hose, it will harden us, I guarantee you. It will harden us. But focusing on the Lord and his kingdom will strengthen you every time. Focusing on the Lord and his kingdom will strengthen you every time. Every time. All right. Now, I want to talk to you about some things that I just want to share openly, things that you don't know that are behind the scenes that can really perk your need to, to pray because there are a lot of folks who are serving and doing things that maybe you have no idea about. We, we sent out in our little letter that goes out on Thursdays, an email, that we weren't going to have church on Sunday morning, December 26th. We have church uh, two times on Christmas Eve on Friday. But then we have Christmas Day, and then the day after that would be church. And I'm, I'm one of those diehard people who would like, hey, I don't care what, you know, if there's explosions outside, if, you know, I'm going to be there. But there was something that we considered this year because of the great amount of work and all of the diligence and sacrifice so many servants, so many volunteers and their families have put in. And we thought it might be a good day to give those people a rest. That's why we decided to do that. Let me just tell you. I want us to write this down. Pray for the volunteers in this church and pray for the staff. They're some of the most self-sacrificing, just people who love and care for God and care for his people, they give it all. And they do it when nobody else is around, even when they're around. People serving in the kids' ministry, people serving in the cafe, people serving on stage up here. It's a, it's a dedication that no one sees. You know all this stuff that's been put up and all of these projectors and stuff? You know how hard that is to do? There are people who are staying in here in the middle of the night from early in the day, all the way to 10, 11 o'clock at night, trying to get this stuff to work. And I can tell you something about technology. It doesn't work. (laughs) 
It takes so much time, so much configuration, and so many smart people putting in all of these hours, and they don't complain because they believe that they want to provide something beautiful for this fellowship. That's what our worship team, pray for a worship leader. We've been without an official worship leader for a long time. We've prayed. We've looked under rocks. We've looked under more rocks. And what's happened? This group of volunteer servants who have jobs, who work all the time, have committed their, their, their teamwork and their effort to come in and to sacrifice. Why? Because they believe that the work of the ministry and what God is doing is important. And, and I don't say this to shame anyone. I just want to highlight these fantastic people and to remind to pray for what goes on. I mean, I remember the days I grew up in a church where we had an organ and a piano. You have the wooden ceiling so that everybody can sing out loud, and all you have to do is turn on the lights, and if the lights won't turn on, you just get a candle. It's not much prep. I mean, we've probably got 10, 12 people to, to, to 20 people who help make this happen on a Sunday morning live and then broadcast it uh, live on the Internet. That takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of love. And we have two families out with COVID, three families out on this team right now with COVID. We have families out who serve over in uh, the kids' ministry who are hit with COVID. And so today is a shoestring. It's a miracle of God that we're here doing this at all. And I say that not to... I say it because... We need your prayers. Not only do we need to be praying for you, but your brothers and sisters who are putting in a lot of hard work. And that's why we decided, you know what? Let's honor the servants of the Lord and say, enjoy the day that God has made. Period. Now, if you say, well, why don't you have more volunteers? It's because you haven't volunteered. Don't raise your hand unless you're willing to get involved. I've got an idea for you. Okay, good. Go to work. Kids' ministries are battling COVID. There's so much sacrifice, so much heart for service, so many people who love this fellowship. So if you're in your prayers, pray about how God would get you involved, how you could serve. It's not a guilt trip. It's an opportunity. Pray, how that, pray in your prayers this week how, God, can we share the gospel to a, a community that's hurting? Because wherever you find human beings, you find hurt. Time is limited, my friends. We don't have a lot of time. There's so much work to do, and we don't know the time that God has given us to do that work. Pray for our Christmas Eve service, that it would be an outreach to our community. That people would find Jesus in the season of Jesus. You see, there's a lot we can do. We just have to do it together. Praying together. This morning, just bow your heads for just a second. If, if there's somebody here who hasn't given their heart to Jesus and you say, man, I just need the Lord. I need to get right with God. Just raise your hand. I'll pray for you. Anybody. I'm not going to take a long time. Just raise it up so I can see it. 
great. Lord, I thank you for this one who's calling upon you. Lord, I pray that they would be able to call upon you and ask for forgiveness of sins. In fact, if if you're that way right now, just pray with me. Dear Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I call upon your mercy and your grace, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I trust that you will. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, and I receive it by faith in Jesus' name. All right. Anybody else here this morning? We want to make prayer a part of what we do. You're having a tough time. You're struggling. This, right now, during this season, it is really messing with you. Just raise up your hand. I want to pray for you. Anybody? Anybody here? All right. Everybody's good. That's awesome. As we get ready to sing this final song, we're going to continue to talk about prayer. We're going to be in a different series, and we're going to be reminding each other, because this is not going away, because this is what the church is. Whatever we may say it is, his house shall be a house of prayer. Let's sing. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.